it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Heath Leday and the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Thorns Matt Court. How you doing? I'm well tonight. Yourself? I uh, can't complain. Uh, had a steak, got a bourbon in front of me. Uh, wow. Let's talk some duck sports. Definitely. Uh, so, in a, what was a bit of a surprise to me... Um, uh, the Oregon softball team has been playing some friendlies uh, against various um, uh, colleges throughout the state of Oregon. I got to learn of the existence of a couple of them um, <laughs> <laughs> while uh, the, the Ducks were destroying their softball teams. <laughs> kind of, uh, I don't know, you've been uh, covering, you know, all of these. What have you thought uh, about what you saw? Like, was, was there a point to this? Was it... Was it cruel? How did you feel? Well, you know, you're right up there with the, the kids that are announcing the softball games. They, they mentioned tonight that they'd never heard of Monmouth before, which is, of course, where Western Oregon is from. And that's who the Ducks are playing uh, right mm. now as we're recording the podcast. Uh, or Drain. They'd never heard of Drain, Oregon, either, which surprised me. But, um, yeah, anyway, I, I think there's a lot of um, interesting questions about why games like this get scheduled because the you know the average score of these games for Oregon has been something like 20 to 1 or something they're not uh competitive in any meaningful way and it's really I think more an opportunity for the players to to get out and run around on the field and they're you know they've been off for several months here and most of what they've done has been inter-squad they've been you know working on their hitting in the batting cages and they've been um you know fielding grounders and fungos and stuff um maybe outside a little bit but they haven't had any actual game action and i think after a while um you know if we've talked about before in, in other sports and other contexts game is different than practice even if it's a game against a team that isn't really competitive or anywhere near as good as you are, it's a lot different facing an actual live pitcher than it is hitting off a pitching machine, for example. So there's a value to that, whether or not uh, you know, you're doing a ton of, of skill building uh, facing some of the pitchers that Oregon has faced in, in these games is, I think, an open question. But they've certainly been been racking up the hits and runs and home runs and triples and you know just crazy offensive uh, explosions tonight in the bottom of the first inning against Western Oregon. 
think the Ducks sent 16 batters to the plate and scored 13 runs in the, in the bottom of the first. I, I assume uh, the mercy rule is suspended <clears throat> for these. Right, yeah, and a lot of things are suspended. In fact, one of the things that happened last weekend was they use something called ghost runners, which is after about the third inning, they start, they'll start an inning where the opposing team or the team at bat has a, a runner on second base to start the inning, or they have runners on first and, and third bases to start the inning. So it, it, the idea sort of like it, the, to handicap the opponent a bit. It, well, it, it, somewhat, but both teams do the same thing. So it's not, there's not really an advantage the, what they're hmm. trying to accomplish is to, to have some actual game situations rather than just, you know, whoever it is, Corbin or, or Siski or whoever, just send up, you know, strikeout after strikeout after strikeout. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives uh, Oregon and, and, and of course, Siski or whoever also the opportunity to consider, okay, well, what's going to happen if they're, runners on first and third during our regular season and what what am I supposed to do to deal with that defensive situation so that's the the purpose of them is to to give a you know a little bit more realistic um, opportunity for the the teams to play defense with with runners on base and for the pitchers to have to throw perhaps somewhat different pitches than they might if there was nobody on base and they were just trying to get the girl with the plate out, they might have to, you know, figure out how to, where do I place this pitch so that she hits it into a place that allows us to make sure this runner on third doesn't score. So there, there's some interesting aspects to it, but it's not, it isn't competitive. I don't, you know, it's fun to go out and watch them and sit in the sun and, uh, you know, enjoy an afternoon, but that's about it. You know, my biggest question about the softball team going to when they're actually competitive, you know, come the spring is, you know, how do the pitchers not named Stevie Hansen look? Uh, have we gotten any data on that from the friendlies? Well, it's hard to say for sure. Um, you know, they gave up no hits to Siskiyou's. It, uh, Morgan Scott and uh, Benning both pitched in that game, uh, gave up no hits. Um, they gave up a half a dozen hits in the second game last weekend against uh, Oregon Tech. Um, but we haven't seen Hansen yet. We know we know her quality. I'm not really sure we need to see her that much in, in ball ball. But, um, you know, you've got you have Morgan Scott's new to the staff. Um, you want to see get, see her in game action. Like I said earlier, it's different than just watching her throw in a cage somewhere. So it, they've they've been good. I mean, it, against the competition they're facing, they're pretty, you know, obviously more than adequate given the scores of these games. I mean, they haven't given up more than two runs <clears throat> yet in any game that they've played this fall. So, and which you wouldn't expect them to have. So I, I'm not sure, uh, other than you know coaching staff can that here what the coaching staff can find out about the pitchers is if if we need a certain pitch to be thrown and it doesn't really doesn't matter who's at bat whether what the batter might do who's up at the time but if we need to we need to throw um a, a change up uh up and in or we need you to throw a a, a curveball down and away in the future can you do that when we ask you to do it. And so that's some, some of the yeah, data. And it's, that, and it's different doing that. Like regardless of who the human being is, it's different doing that against a human being than like a cardboard cutout or whatever correct. it is they would practice it yeah. know, against. No, that's exactly right. And, and uh, so I think there's some value to it. They, they wouldn't be doing it if there was no value to it. I don't think. Uh, but but it's not. Hey, you know, fresh air and exercise, man. Yeah, well, they, yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, there's something there. There's it's not just an absolute waste of everybody's time uh, to do it. I on the other side of the coin, I I understand somewhat less uh, what a team like Western Oregon might get out of it. I mean, Oregon is they get to play the best team they'll play. Yeah, all they're the year, best team. You know, best team in the state, absolutely. And and the, the question yeah, is, what, I mean, you get a hit against you know Oregon's <laughs> pitching staff, like right. you know, eat out on that all year long. You yeah, know? exactly. And so if if you can do that, 
then that's valuable. But, uh, you know, a lot of times what you're trying to do when you face a pitcher who's very good is you're trying to learn something about how to deal with that pitcher or pitchers of similar ability. Western Oregon is not going to see other pitchers <clears throat> of similar ability. Yeah, look, man, during, during if, if I went out there on a, you know, goof around practice field and I picked off Marcus Mariota, I would never stop talking. <laughs> As well, you shouldn't. Deathbed, you know, like, yeah. I, I don't know why you're questioning the value of this. You know? I don't know. Like, I totally understand. So does it look like Oregon's going to have like a, a full bullpen this year? Well, right now it looks like it. Uh, they, you know, they've used three starting pitchers, and and as we noted earlier, Stevie Hansen has yet to make an appearance in fall ball. So they've got four pitchers uh, on the staff that seem to be pretty talented. I mean, we'll find out. You know, again, we find out when we get to a, a little better hitting competition. Um, you know, here probably over the the holidays or whenever it is that they end up going to Mexico or Hawaii or wherever it is they're going to go and and play some. Uh, you know, some top, more top level teams. Uh, but, but they, you know, there's no reason right now to think anything other than the pitching staff is going to be pretty solid. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the women's soccer team. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So uh, we're getting uh, kind of deep into conference play uh, with the soccer team, uh, and you've been writing them up. Uh, how do you feel about this team at this point? Well, I think they've really uh, been harmed by the injuries, and we talked. I've talked about this in almost every article about the team because it's the the single most important thing that's happened <clears throat> to Oregon this year is the tremendous number of injuries that they've suffered but both before the season and then even during the season they've had a couple and they've only had like two of nine uh, injured players return to play and it's left the team with in, in a pretty difficult spot I think where they are not really they really don't have a, the number of, of girls with the right skill sets to be able to really push forward offensively and even even recently, they, they let, uh, lost Ajne Respass, who's the top scorer of the team, and she's out. She's been out a couple of times with injuries during the course of the season. And in some ways, she was like the only person that was a real threat to score. So what Oregon is kind of left with is they have to sort of sit back in defense. They have to absorb pressure from whoever the opponent might be. And then hope they're going to be able to break out on a counterattack and score, and that's you know basically what happened, um, you know, in the last game that they played, where um, Oregon actually scored early. They scored in the tenth minute, and uh, and were able to hold on for quite a long time uh, against Washington State, and then and finally. Uh, Washington State just had gigantic pressure the entire game. You look at the shots; it was like twenty-three to seven or something, and in, in shots. And this is something we've also talked about before on previous podcasts about why is that happening, and, and the reason it's happening is because Oregon simply does not have the high level, high enough level skill players to pressure the other team offensively. Do you mean so it's like a ball control thing, like Oregon's? Due to injuries, Oregon can't hold the ball offensively and keep the, the ball away from the opponent, and so therefore, what else is the opponent going to do? Right, but take yeah, shots on goal. Right, they can't. What they're doing is they're purposefully, I I think, purposefully packing basically their entire team into the defensive half of their fee of the field, uh, and waiting for 
the opponent to make some kind of a mistake or turn the ball over or take a shot that doesn't uh, amount to anything, and then getting possession and hoping that and trying to go on like a fast break, right? Like, yeah, exactly. The other team is so anxious to score that they bring too many of their defenders up, and Oregon can get past them uh, for a, for a shot on goal or some reasonable offensive pressure. And you know, you're so you're not going to get a ton of that. I mean, you look at the you look at the game uh, stories on this, and it it's all pressure from from the opponent. There's just not very many opportunities for Oregon to push forward, which is why against Washington State, it was great that they got that goal so early because you're only going to get. Well, they had seven shots. I mean, and only two were on goal. So you're you're only going to get a, a limited number of chances like that when you're playing this style with these players. So it was great that they scored that, and it gave them a chance to to actually win the game if they'd been able to to hold on uh, against Washington State. But they got a got a draw out of it, which this team with the injury problems they've had that you know that's like a high water mark for them. I think. Is there any hope of getting healthy anytime soon? You know, it doesn't sound like it. Again, there's no you get no information from uh, no. the team, which is fine. I mean, I don't I'm not you know criticizing anybody because they shouldn't be talking about it. I don't think anyway. It's not any of our business, really. It would be wonderful if they could get a couple of players back who could help them on the offensive end of things. The defense is great, um, especially Leah Freeman has, has had a gigantic season. I mean, she's just a superstar. You look at some of this stuff that they post on Twitter of uh, the saves that she makes and it just her lightning fast reactions to blocking some of these shots are just really impressive. And so the you know the question is could they get a couple of, you know, offensively minded midfielders or could rest pass come back and and be at full strength and and you know, they might be able to do some more damage. Uh, in the re- in the remaining part of the Pac-12 season, if they can get a couple of these key players back, it's just not clear whether or not they will. Well, they've only got uh, five games left in the regular season. Um, the next two coming up are against the Bay Area schools. Uh, both of them are going to be uh, in Eugene. Uh, they've got Stanford uh, on Thursday. Um, uh, it, it's a, apparently a morning or excuse me, it's an evening game, uh, 7 PM, uh, and then Cal, uh, Sunday at noon. Right. Um, you, uh, I'm not super familiar with those teams. Like, what are they, what are they well, like? Stanford, scary opponents? St- of the two, Stanford is better. The, the thing about Stanford is they just beat last weekend, uh, UCLA, who is of course the number one team in the country. So they're going to, you know, and sometimes you're riding a high when something like that happens. Sometimes you feel like you've accomplished all you need to and you can come out flat. So the question is going to be which of those two teams comes out for the Cardinal um, on Thursday. It, it will be a, a tough game. I mean, obviously, they shut out UCLA, which nobody else has done this season. And so they're, you know, obviously very good defensive team, and they were able to sneak sneak one past the Bruins, which almost nobody has done either. So that's going to be a difficult game. The Cal game, I think, is probably of the, of the two the more winnable, and the, the hope is that the Ducks can get somebody back that can help uh, put, some, put some pressure on the opponent uh, in their defensive end. Oregon performed fairly respectably against uh, UCLA when they played them uh, earlier in the season. Yeah, like, yeah. I know they lost yeah, that a, game, but it wasn't like a blowout or anything. They no, and it, it was I actually they scored tied. a goal. Yeah, it was yeah. tied one to one for a long time, and then and then UCLA managed to to score one and and put more pressure on Oregon to try to figure out how to get the ball forward. They mm-hmm. looked great in that game. I thought it, the USC game they looked terrible, which is again talking about this whole hangover thing. You know, don't. Don't let UCLA beat you twice. They kind of did there, uh, where I, th- I think they just were not. They they were disappointed that they'd lost that game to UCLA and just didn't come out with the kind of fire that they have come out with in almost every other game this season. Because I mean, if they had if they had beaten or maybe even tied UCLA, that would have been like yeah. set off the fireworks. You know, there's still yeah. like eight games left in the schedule, but it'd be like set off the fireworks. We're done. You know, this injured yeah. as hell team. You know, beat yeah. the number one team in the country, or or, or, or even, or you're right, even tied up. That that would have been a huge accomplishment given 
what Oregon's gone through and the quality of UCLA. Well, the rest of the schedule after they take on the Bay Area teams at home uh, next weekend, they're going down to the desert to take on Arizona State and then Arizona. And then they uh, wrap up the season um, first weekend in in uh, November uh, at home against Oregon State. Um, so uh, you got three uh, home games left in regular season, uh, Stanford, Cal, and then uh, Oregon State in November. Uh, go out and support the team. Uh, you know, it's it still sounds like for those who enjoy soccer, uh, an entertaining product and, and, you know, watching a scrappy team, uh, that, you know, that's dealing with stuff, you know, they need your support. Uh, all right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little, uh, UCLA football. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing. However, you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right. Uh, football's had a, a bye week. Are you uh, rested, relaxed, focused, ready to go? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's interesting how you go from uh, being super excited to be where the team is to a bye week that really doesn't provide that much relief because now we've got this gigantic game coming, Eugene, with game day and everything, the, the circus and hoopla that's going to go around that. You've got Chip Kelly's return to Autzen with his, you know, the first decent, really decent team he's had, I think, since he's come, come to... Uh, to UCLA and it just like there's just no uh, no rest there at all it's uh, it's all super exciting uh, yeah, it sure is. I mean, it's been, uh, you know, it's been an interesting team to do film study on, although I actually wrapped up my film study, you know, because they had a buy last week too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I wrapped up my film study of them and like, I, you know, I, I'm recording a, a podcast tomorrow night, um, which I guess listener if you're listening to this on wednesday morning i will be recording that podcast on wednesday night and who knows when it'll be up but anyway uh time time is a flat circle uh uh with uh michael hanna the ucla b team podcast who i I spoke to over the summer when i was writing my you know my summer preview of ucla it was really great conversation really a lot of uh fun michael's great um guest i'm really looking forward to that podcast sort of answer some of, of my last you know lingering questions about this team but i sort of feel like i understand it pretty well um um, you know, I've done a bunch of film study. You know, their their non-conference was not particularly impressive. Um, you know, they played Bowling Green and uh, for the first time ever an FCS team, Alabama State, which is just a terrible team. It's not yeah. even like one of the scary FCS teams. And then uh, and then they had, you know, last second field goal against South Alabama. And in fact, I, I sent out a tweet, you know, uh, uh, to the effect of like U- UCLA and Tennessee united in, in beating an Alabama team with the last <laughs> second field goal at home. Um <laughs> Did they carry uh, off the goalposts? Uh, yeah, in that it's, game uh, uh, I I don't think so. I mean, it was. I, I got to say, it was funny because you know, like I said, I wrapped up my film study in UCLA. You know, like more than a week ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I've been using the bye week, to, you know, to catch up on my film on other teams. You know, so like one of the games that I most recently finished up doing film study on was Cal versus Colorado, which is obviously significant because the you know, after UCLA, those are Oregon's next two games, Cal and Colorado, okay. both on the road. And, uh, you know, that, that was a crazy upset, you know, that the Colorado pulled off over Cal. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't really think I, well, you know, real highly of either of those teams, but I will say just as an interesting point of comparison, you know, uh, uh, the, you know, the most recent game I did film study on for UCLA was when they beat Utah in the Rose Bowl. And I'm here, I am watching a five and O UCLA team beat the defending Pac-12 champions, you know, themselves, you know, undefeated in, in Pac-12 play, uh, and they've got a bunch of tarps, you know, over the Rose Bowl. And there's like maybe 10,000 people in that stadium. Yeah. Yeah. And then, the, you know, and then what do I, you know, the next game that I turn on or not the next, but, you know, quickly succeeding uh, was the Cal versus Colorado game in which Colorado had a whiteout in their stadium and sold it out. 
Yeah. You know, there was like 60,000 people in that stadium for an 0-5 team, you know, right. taking on, you know, Cal, which is like, you know, right. whatever. Who cares? Uh, right. uh, you know, like, yeah, I was just like, you know, UCLA, you know, UCLA fans don't deserve their team. Colorado fans don't deserve their team, you know, but in um, but in kind of opposite ways, you know. Yeah, um, yeah I, I have no analysis of it, but it's fascinating. I mean, I, I used to think back in the day that, it's a good thing I didn't go to UCLA because I would have spent most of my time on the beach and probably washed out of the place in about six mm. months. Uh, but I don't understand the the lack of enthusiasm uh, for the football program. And maybe it's just the fact that you know you got to go to the Rose Bowl to see the game or whatever it is. But um, it's, it's I, I uh, love going to the Rose Bowl. I do too. But maybe, maybe it becomes I, I get to do it, you know, it. fairly often in my lifetime. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You know, maybe it becomes old hat if if it's you know every week or every other week or whatever, five or six times a year. Maybe it's it just becomes boring. It's hard to believe, but I can imagine that, that people think that way. Well, speaking of of boring, I got to say, like I, I I'm not I wasn't exactly bored with doing this UCLA film study, but I will say that there are some things about it that were like that they, you know. N- Number one, like, you know, Chip Kelly had been there for four previous seasons and every single time, every article that I would write about UCLA, either, you know, as a summer preview or as an in-game, you know, in-season preview or as the post-game, you know, after the Ducks beat them, which you know right. they've done in like four out of those five years, they, they didn't play in um, 2019, I think. Um you know, the, the, uh, you know, it was just like Chip Kelly's playbook is insane. You know, it's like, it's like 50%, you know, or more bigger than anybody else's playbook. Um, it changes week to week, you know, he puts new stuff in every week. He gets some advantage out of it, you know, because he sort of like surprises the opponents on the first two, like his first two drives are scripted, which a lot of teams do, you know, that, that, that's not unusual, but like Chip Kelly's scripted drives are like bonkers stuff. It's like, you've never seen that stuff before. Right. <laughs> um, and so like all throughout 2021, you know, I definitely put this in my article, you know, previewing the, the 2021 team right before Oregon played him was just like, I fully expect that UCLA is going to be look real scary their first two drives. And then we'll re- revert to like Chip Kelly nonsense and, and Oregon will take the lead. Now, I mean, that was exactly what happened, you know, um, this year it's it kind of knocked my socks off because he stopped doing all of that. They've been running just about every snap out of, you know, a pretty basic, you know, spread 11 personnel formation. Um, They had like one interesting formation. They tried it against Washington, but then like it didn't, you know, which was fun to watch because they, they could run like seven different plays out of it and they could really conceal what the play was going to be until the last second, which was, that's cool. But then like Washington adequately defended all of them um, or all but one of them. And like Washington's defense is not great this year. So like that should tell you, you know, something. Right. Um, and so like, the, and then the next game against Utah, they're just like, ah, oh, screw that. You know, we're not going to do that anymore. And like, you know, so the, the offense is like, I don't want to call it vanilla. That's not right. But like, it's. It, it's a lot more like a streamline. It's definitely streamlined formationally. They're really just lining up in like maybe three different formations and there are sort of just variations of each other. You know, it's like 11 personnel or 11 personnel with the back motioned out, you know, to be a receiver. Yeah. You know, it's like that's the extent of their variety. Um, and uh, and like the playbook is really pared down to sort of like the, the greatest hit stuff or, or other things like a midline read, you know, inside zone run, which just, they're not very good at. Um um, but I don't know, like it, uh, there are some plays that you have in your playbook that you, you, that, that don't generate big yards, but you sort of need to keep in your playbook because they set other things up. I sort of understand right. that. But anyway, the, um, like, you know, the, the thing is about like generating UCLA statistical profile, you know, like, a, you know, their efficiency rates across all four quadrants of football, their, you know, their yards per play, their explosiveness rates is that like, and, and then like also, you know, their pocket breakdowns, you know, what percentage of plays result in sack scrambles and throwaways, you know, like what their, you know, air yards are, you know, how, how many broken plays there are. Like, it's it, their statistical profile looks like a lot of teams that Oregon has already played and a lot of teams that, you know, are, are sort of throughout the Pac-12, which is basically like their defense isn't great. In particular, their rush defense is bad um, or like inefficient. Um, yeah. They, 
you, you know, they're, they're okay at stopping explosive plays, but they're not good at preventing methodical drives. Um, and, and then on offense, they, uh, but they do sometimes generate turnovers and that's what sort of keeps them in the game and makes them look, you know, better defensively than they really are. Um, you know, uh, offensively, you know, they, their run game is super inefficient, but occasionally break off a big run because they're playing a lot of opposing defenses that can't, you know, stop, you know, the run game very well. Um, and, and their offensive, you know, and, and like everything runs through the quarterback, you know, in between, you know, running the ball on designed runs, scrambles, you know, hitting explosive plays against sort of the bad passing defenses in the Pac-12, um, and, and just like, you know, quarterback rescuing the play, you know, right. g- given their pocket breakdowns because the offensive line isn't very good. And it's like, stop me if you've heard this one. Like, that describes <laughs> Stanford and Wazoo and Arizona and BYU. It describes Washington, you know, which Oregon's going to play in the future. It describes Cal to a certain extent. You know, it describes Colorado, whatever they're calling. It even sort of describes Utah, frankly. Um, you know, I, I haven't gotten much eyes on Oregon State. For some reason, the, the 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 schedule has lined up in such a way that I haven't done film study in Oregon State yet. It's just, just a quirk of the schedule. Um, but it's like, you know, just about every team in the Pac-12 has that same sort of profile. It's like the a dynamic quarterback who can sort of rescue it and then the rest of the team, you know, the offensive line, the defensive line, the, you know, the, are all sort of like, yeah. Um, but like, it's, this is such a quarterback centric game that if you have right. a dynamic playmaking quarterback who can make off schedule plays that like you're in every game, cause that's what that sort of quarterback buys you. And then the other thing that sort of was in the, the one, you know, kind of interesting thing about UCLA, other than the fact that like DTR of all of that set of, you know, I just said that like every Pac-12 team has a quarterback that's like that DTR right. is like the best of them. So yes. like you know that that's what makes this game to the extent that this game is special that's what makes it special um but there is one other thing that i would say okay there's one other you know thing that sort of makes them special which is this that like chip kelly is sharp enough that he will repeat plays that are working like if he mm-hmm. if he notices in game like he doesn't seem to like come into the game with a plan to do this, which like seems odd to me because I can usually pick up that stuff in film study and I'm like a moron. Um, and like, I don't have a staff of analysts who are working right. for me. Like I have my <laughs> eyeballs during the time when I'm my free time to watch film, like one game a day. Um, but like, uh, anyway, like when in game he notices you, you, the, by you, I mean the opposing defense, um, are like can't are, are having a hard time defending a certain play he'll just run that play over and over and over again which i know sounds like well doesn't everybody do that yeah. surprisingly the answer is no <laughs> like, <laughs> you think of that as football 101 but yeah exactly does. <laughs> i know it's kind of crazy do it, do it until they stop it you yeah know? exactly it seems like pretty obvious to me but it'd been like apparently only chip kelly and, and, and kenny dillingham are smart enough to do that so like yeah you know it's kind of funny like I, I tweeted in two successive weeks simply because you know i was doing film study on them two, two different games um uh, in, in which like you know Ch- Chip Kelly was hammering Washington's defense uh, with runs up the middle, which otherwise UCLA is not particularly good at. But what he had noticed by the third and fourth quarter was that um, Washington only had like three big men, uh, you know, defensive tackles in the middle of their defensive structure. They only had three that they were that were playable. And like and like one of them is pretty good, number uh, ninety one, Tuli Latuli and Sanoa, But the other two are just not very good. Um, and on top of that, they just be exhausted. And sure. it's like, and so even though I don't think much of UCLA's offensive line and their you know play calling on inside runs is not, I mean, it's not like Chip Kelly magic stuff, really. Um, you know, it's it's the same inside zone run that like every team has in their playbook. I mean, like literally every team has in their playbook, like even air raid teams, um, uh, you know, but like those guys were exhausted and they couldn't really rotate and they were just and so Chip Kelly just hammers them over and over again. And so I mm-hmm. sent out a tweet of like five such plays 
you know, in that yeah. game that was, you know, they, they happened at sort of different moments during third and fourth quarter, but like the magic of making film videos, you know, or, or, you know, clip compilations that I can just put them all back to back to back to back so that you can see like, this is the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And then the next week it, it was something similar when they played Utah, where Utah like has no idea how to defend um, uh, the, the, the zone option or the, the zone read option. So mm-hmm. like, and I mean, this one should f- be familiar to Oregon fans, you know, because he was a Chip Kelly staple when Chip Kelly was at Oregon, where it's like, you know, it's a zone read. I don't know if anybody's listening to this. You don't know what I'm talking about. I, just, I don't know. Are you new to Oregon? Fan? But anyway, uh, maybe that's true. I, I shouldn't criticize that. Uh, you know, basically, it's, you know, that there's an unblocked defender who's coming off the end and the quarterback is staring at him. And if the the unblocked defender, you know, jumps inside to go for the running back, then the quarterback pulls the ball and runs outside around him because now, all you know, that that dude's momentum is all taken to the inside. So he can't turn around on a dime to pursue the quarterback um but if that dude as he is supposed to do like what opposing defensive coaches are supposed to train the unblocked end when he's being unblocked and the quarterback is staring at you and he's reading you what they tell you is you need to stay outside on the quarterback and force him to hand off why Mm -hmm. because the rest of your defense is on the inside you know you have to trust the rest of your your job is to keep the quarterback from running it against air because you're the only one there right Mm -hmm. And, and you need to force him to hand it off inside because that's where your defensive line and linebackers and safeties are. Um, and so what do I see when I'm watching Utah go up against uh, uh, Chip Kelly's zone read? I, I bet you can guess, Lerms. Yeah, they're, they're diving inside on the running back. Yeah, exactly. And so DTR would just, you know, zoop, you know, take the ball and run. And like, and it was yeah. five times in a row, not in a row, but I was able to assemble right. the clips in that way. Um where it's just like you, it's like you're watching the same thing happen over and over and over again. Where the guy's like, he crashes on the back, and then like it, it's it's like a video game, like or a cartoon or something, where you can see the the exclamation point, you know, over his head. It was like, what? You you can do that? You know, it's like yeah, and you know how I can do that because it's what he did the last time and the time before that and the time before that and the time before that. It's just like, what is the matter with you? And also like, yeah. how can how can you be a, a defensive coordinator in this league and not teach your, your, your ends, you know, how to do that? It was just like so yeah. baffling. So anyway, the, the, when I see stuff like that, it's, I, it makes me, what's the right way to put this? Like I sometimes worry that when I put stats in my article, that they may be inflated by certain factors mm-hmm. and, uh, and that like going up against a competent team, which like we would all like to imagine that Oregon is, you know, they're not going to make those same mistakes. And so maybe the numbers that I provide will be misleading. I worry about that. Like, so the number one thing that I worry about is I never want to write down anything that's misleading. My, my job is to illuminate things, not to obscure things. And, and if I'm ever doing that, I feel like I'm, I'm betraying the audience. Um, but so I guess my only solution is just to state it, you know, like here is the number, but keep in mind this. Um, right. Do you which, feel like, um, you know, one of the things that you focus on is pre-garbage time. So yes. do you feel like having just the, the that meaningful part of the game as part of your counting helps eliminate some of the, uh, some of your concern anyway oh. about, Oh, I, I wouldn't do this if I couldn't eliminate garbage time. Like yeah, uh, it right. is like, yeah, man, like anybody who's given you any stats, you know, or any sort of analysis that's not eliminating garbage time is just like that, that, that analysis is not worth, you know, one iota of your attention. Um, mm-hmm. Well, um, like it's like the, the plays you were talking about earlier, where but they uh, but those you know, happen in meaningful plays. What I'm saying, right? Like those things get get included in the stats, but like but maybe they are not indicative of how a team would play against Oregon or you know right. a, any hypothetical opponent that's not you know uh, a poorly structured in the, right. the the case of the first example or poorly coached on a particular type of play in the case of the second example. And often that sort of stuff just sort of washes out because you're the, those defenses that have those structural problems are not facing an offensive coordinator who's sharp enough to pick those things out and, and run it a bunch of times. But Chip right. Kelly is in this circumstance. So like, 
I don't know. I don't know how that's going to play out. Maybe Oregon has a structural vulnerability that he'll detect and, and hammer and Lanning won't be able to correct, you know, in time. Or maybe Lanning has, you know, the most like balanced and deep and talented roster in the conference, which I think is true. Right. Um and is a sharp guy who won a national championship as a defensive coordinator, which also is true. And so maybe they don't have that kind of vulnerability. And so maybe the stats from UCLA, even though they're all, it's all meaningful play and I excluded garbage time and I, I corrected the record. That's the other thing that I do, which um, I, I was a little under the radar, but like, if you just look at the raw play by play from like ESPN, like look at it closely, you will notice that it will have plays missing or plays miscategorized um or out oh. of order and um like i would say something between 10 percent of all plays of that i've ever looked of of uh play by plays are have serious errors to them so that's the other benefit of charting while actually watching a game is you're just yeah. like oh actually <laughs> second down happened you know this isn't like wazoo you know? um, <laughs> so so anyway like even though i make all these corrections so i'm giving you the straight dope you know no nonsense you know i still worry that like maybe there's um you know distorting elements you know mm -hmm. that i'm forced to include and like uh. well that's why they play them right i mean yeah that's true a anything can happen and we've all seen plenty of games where something bizarre happened that would never show up in anybody's analysis, pregame analysis or, or uh, you know, any coach's playbook. And you just got to roll with them. There's that you can't, it's not a, a, a personal failing. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody, uh, if, if somebody throws a pass and it's batted up in the air and the same guy catches yeah, right. it runs for a touchdown, I mean, that's not the plan. Right. Yeah, I, I, I know, man. And I mean, I, I actually like if there are plays that are sufficiently crazy, I, I, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm comfortable enough, you know, just excluding a single play or, or mm -hmm. just like that play was nuts, you know, right. like, yeah. Or, or I'll give you another example when there's a bad snap on a play. And so like the, you know, the ball sails over the quarterback's head, you're, you know, like, yeah, that should, that is something that should like be, be taken in mind when it comes to evaluating the, the, the offense that had that bad snap, but for the defense, like the defense didn't earn that, you know? Right. So like, yeah. I, you know, I, I wind up excluding those things. It's just like, it sort of distorts the record. Um, and like, you know, when you were collecting, you know, 400 or whatever, some odd snaps on an opponent, like excluding a couple of wild plays doesn't, you're not taking meaningful data out. You're making yeah. the data that you left in, you know, more representative of like normal play, um, yeah, which yeah. I, I think once is the get, job. Yeah. Once you get enough plays, um, you know, individual gains or losses on a, on one specific play isn't going to affect your averages. Well, it, I mean, the, the way that I, I sort of think of my articles is that, like, it's about presenting what, like, uh, what, how would this team perform if no crazy stuff happened? Like, what's mm -hmm. the baseline level? What I, I refer to it as fundamental strength. You know, what are the fundamental strengths? What are the fundamental weaknesses, you know, of, of this team? Knowing, you know, being fully aware of the fact that like teams sometimes punch above their weight class and sometimes, you know, <laughs> whack things happen. And, yep. you know, and in football, it's, you know, it's a wild, exciting game because like, you know, the team that's fundamentally weaker can pull off upsets because balls bounce off of people's helmets and stuff, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, uh, you know, but it, it, like that doesn't, you know, and it's also why I'm not really in the business of like predicting out like you will note that in all the articles that I've ever written, you know, previewing these teams, which get way deeper than you're going to find pretty much anywhere else. Like what is not on the bottom of them is. And so therefore, you know, the, here's my score prediction, because right. like screw that, you know, like, the, you know, football's just way too wild to do that. Like, you know, I'll tell you, like you know, team A strengths and weaknesses look like this and team B strengths and weaknesses look like this. And so therefore in a normal game or what would happen if these teams played like eight times out of 10, 
you know, is that, you know, this would be this, the obvious strategy that presents itself. And this would be the obvious sort of response to that strategy. And I would expect this, you know, matchup advantage to prevail and this matchup advantage, you know, to be less or this matchup to be less salient because they're even in, in that regard. And then like, and then they go play the game and crazy stuff happens because it's college football. And like, that's why we're all addicted to it. But like, right. uh, exactly. You know, my, my job is sort of like set up what the game ought to look like, not to predict what it what will happen, because nobody can do that. It's 19 year old kids playing with a oblate yeah. spheroid, you know? Yeah, I suppose if if both teams on both sides of the ball played to exactly the specifications that you lay out in your article, you might be able to say, and therefore the score will be. But the fact is, that's not going to happen. You're talking yeah, it about never tend- does, tend- you know. tendencies and, you know, team teams that are 45% efficient on the run game have a game where they're 65% efficient or something, completely blowing uh, the statistics out of the water for that one game. And it's, you know, trying to predict a score based on the chance that that's going to happen uh, is a fool's errand. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, Las Vegas, I think I, I think this game opened as Oregon is a four and a half point favorite and it's since climbed to like six and a half or seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think I understand why, um, you know, basically like the, uh, 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 you know, uh, with all the caveats that I've just spoken, you know, uh, you know, if there's no crazy stuff in this game, which obviously there's going to be crazy stuff in this game. And like the whole reason that you've got DTR is that he can make off schedule plays. So like, right. yeah. Um, but if, you know, yeah, you know, at home, I would expect, I actually would expect Oregon at one point in this game to be up by more than two scores, you know, somewhere, you know, 15 to 17, maybe even 20 points up on UCLA. And then, but, but like, but DTR is just such a, uh, uh, an X factor that, you know, that'll probably come down, you know, and, and, you know, I, I sort of, you know, I'm not, I, I, I certainly can't guarantee this is going to happen, but I feel like, uh, you know, in, in the entire like quantum, you know, uh, range of possibilities, you know, the waveform is most likely to collapse around Oregon sitting on a, you know, a, a 10 point lead with like five minutes left. And then UCLA gets a last minute touchdown and you know, everyone's like, oh, God. And then yeah. like Oregon manages to convert a third down because the running game is unstoppable. And then everybody can breathe a sigh of relief like that feels like mm-hmm. that feels like something that's going to happen like or, or is more likely to happen than other possibilities, even though other possibilities are certainly plausible. Yes. Well, we we don't need any more close games. Yeah. Well, they're too they're too hard on the blood pressure. I feel like this game is hyped up enough that like even if it does wind <laughs> up being a close game, it's not one that like is going to hurt you know Oregon's perception or anything. Like everybody, right. you know, in the same way that like you you know Tennessee beating Alabama by three points, no one's like, oh, you only won by three, huh? I don't know about this yeah, team, yeah, you know, right? right? Yeah. Like they're not any good. <laughs> yeah, you know when 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 you got game day and you got an undefeated opponent and everybody's been for two weeks been talking about like, boy, Chip Kelly's really got UCLA rolling that. Like, right. yeah, you know, you can afford that sort of thing. So, like, that doesn't really concern me. Just, like, just win, baby, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yep. to no, it's true. I mean, in the long run, the the it, it's fun to beat teams by 20 or 30 or 40 points. But it doesn't matter in the long run for whatever it is that Oregon thinks it can accomplish uh, in football this season. It's not going to, you know, to be nice, but it's not absolutely necessary. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, so anyway, that that's, you know, I, I'm certainly looking forward to the game. I am looking forward to our interview with Michael, um, that will be part of my article, um, that I, I post on addicted to quack on Friday morning. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation about that. We've got a bunch of really smart commentators on ATQ, um, when they're not complaining about game threads being closed too early. That's apparently <laughs> the, the, the complaint of the week. Um, it's a huge controversy. Yeah, I know. I, it's really, I can't believe that we're, we're making them suffer like this. I, the we, amazing I, thing about it is they hate the commenting system. Right, but the but but now all of a sudden, yeah, it reminds why don't me you leave the comments open longer? I, I know it's like that joke in Annie Hall, you know, like boy, the food here is terrible in such small portions. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, anyway, I I actually I genuinely enjoy engaging in the comment section, you know, at ATQ because we've got so many sharp cookies. Um, in, in fact, you know, I, I published my stats article uh, um, this morning. Again, we're recording Tuesday night. Uh, you know, so Tuesday morning I put up my midseason statistical review um, and like had a bunch of you know really smart comments about like yeah. you know so, you know I think yet another duck fan asked me about like you know how does the uh, you know how does individual offensive line failure rate impact the you know yards per play in the run game and like mm-hmm. i'd actually calculated that one out a little while ago and was ready to go with the answer for him you know or uh um you know dan Fouts beard asked me you know like lanning said in his press conference something he, he called it the explosive play ratio which i believe he was referring to like how explosive is your offense relative to how good is your defense at ex- preventing explosive plays? But then, like, mm-hmm. he never explained what exactly what he meant right. by, you know, what's an explosive play and, like, are you excluding garbage time and, you know, a bunch of other things. So I was, like, on the fly in the comment section was like, well, I think if you wanted a number, you know, that was that, that actually was, like, methodologically rigorous to give you that. And so, like, I invented a st- stat in the comment section of my <laughs> article to answer that question. You know? yeah. So I I really, you know, enjoy it. And for anybody who's listening to this, but who is not commenting on articles, I I don't know who you are, but like you are welcome to come do so. I am happy to engage with people. Um, No, and uh, it always, to me, you know, the sorts of clarifying questions that you get are valuable. I think they're probably valuable to you, but they're definitely valuable to those of us who don't, you know, have the same level of knowledge and expertise about the game that you do. And it's, it's interesting to see how some of these other people are, are uh, asking these, how they're formulating these questions to ask, uh, clarifying, what did you mean by, um, is a great way to start a question. Well, I don't really think that I have any like superior knowledge or insight to anybody else. I, I'm just doing film study and like, you know, that much soaking into your right? which means that I'm stupider than everybody else. Not smart. <laughs> um, you know, I, but like that much football just soaking into your brain, you know, and, and running it through. the. That's the other thing. It's not like I'm coming up with these, you know, correlations. I run it through a statistical regression engine, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the computers, right. the smarty pants here. So, right. But anyway, the. Uh, yeah, but you know what to tell it. That's the thing. That's yeah, you're right that is actually an important skill and, and an American um, educational system doesn't give enough background and statistical training and, and, and giving equipping people with the tools to like speak intelligently about like what constitutes significance uh, in a statistical sense. Um, uh, yes, you're right about that. But anyway, the, um, the, the other thing is just like, if I put every single thing that was even a little bit interesting into my article, they'd be, you know, like 50,000 words long. Yeah. You know, I, I put the stuff that I think is most relevant, but like, but I gather way more data than that and have, you know, way more, you know, correlations sure. and things they, or like non-correlations, you know, like that's the other thing is, is like, I, 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 I'm in a position to bust myths, but like, I don't really know what myths are out there. Cause like, I don't really do a lot of reading of social media or whatever. Like I, it's not good for your blood pressure. And, and you right. know, so like if somebody, you know, I, I love it when people, you know, put in comment section, like what, you know, lots of people say that this theory is true. Can, you know, can you prove or disprove right. it? And I'm like, yeah, I can, man. And I never would have thought to put that in my article, but like, right. I totally talk, you know, if you're interested in it and I can talk about it, I love doing that. Like it's really like, it makes my day. Um, well, it's pretty obvious if you read your stuff, uh, enough of your stuff, that you've got a lot of other things going on there on the statistical side that don't necessarily make it into the week-to-week articles. Every once in a while, you'll reference either in response to a comment or it'll show up in an article, something that's not a normal part of your review. Uh, So, you know, there's a ton of work going on there that I think, I hope, the folks that that are reading appreciate. I I just brute force the regret. You know, it's like I gather, you know, all these different... You know, I, I, when I chart the games, each play is its own entry. And then that entry has a bunch of fields in the database. And then I just like, I totally brute force it, man, you know, because computers are powerful enough nowadays that you can run the cross tabs for, you know, just like every bivariate comparison, 
it's just like you know and like so it was even things that seem like totally ridiculous i'll just you know because why not like what do i do sure. exclude it the computer will have the answer by the you know i run it overnight and it has the answers in the morning and so it's like and what i usually have is like you know out of you know ten thousand possible correlations you know three of them are significant and you know you know nine thousand nine hundred ninety seven of them are insignificant and uh or not statistically significant and uh and so like what am i going to do put those nine thousand things in my article this was not a correlation this was not a correlation you know i can't do that but Here's like if somebody comes to me yeah exactly but if somebody is just like hey does this you know you know oh well, i'll give you an example you know so like um uh, uh after i write my ucla preview the next preview that i need to write is cal and i've you know i'm i'm, I'm pretty far into the way uh, you know studying cal stuff and uh you know i obviously you know don't have them completely done yet because they, they'll play one more games against washington this weekend you know and i need to chart that but you know but like i was curious about something because I, I, th- I thought i noticed it um and sure enough proved to be true you know, that like cal's defense gets worse every quarter that goes by they actually start out really well in the first quarter and are above water but by the second quarter they're below water and in the third quarter they're really bad they're like it cal third quarter defense is the worst defense in the pac-12 um um now obviously they only play third quarter defense in one quarter of the game but like it's it's real bad and like that you know and and how do i discover such a thing correlation analysis you know like it's easy to feed the success rate you know compared to what quarter is it and you know it spits out and you know it's a little flashing red flag it's like hey this is a big deal uh and like but then i was like well i gotta find out whether that's unusual or not so then i you know like I, i went back to all my charts which like i have 10 years worth of charts and fed all that you know or i didn't feed it in i already done that correlation analysis you know so i just pulled up my cross tabs from from because you know, I saved all of it because storage is cheap and like and, and, you know and, did, and calculated out what is the normal rate of defensive decay because everybody decays a little bit right you know like sure. you know for, for obvious fatigued reasons or whatever yeah exactly yeah. But, you know so it's like well here's what the baseline is and, and here's how much worse Cal is than baseline you know wow. like I'm not going to be able to you know who on earth is able to do that you know, unless you've been charting games for this long in a right. consistent method and like do the cross tabs and then save the cross tabs and then, you know, think about it statistically. Right, boy, this sounds a lot like tooting my own horn. I guess I'm just saying that like this, it, it gives me pleasure to do. I wish that people would ask me questions more often, you know, about this sort of thing because it gives me, you know, satisfaction to answer them. And also, like, you ain't going to get them from anywhere else, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I don't, you know, like this industry, man, it's so. I, I have a hard time reading other people's stuff like, oh boy, I'm going to go from tooting my own horn to like slapping other people around. But it's like, you know, this is a multi-billion dollar industry and every other multi-billion dollar industry in the world, you know, governments, heavy industry, finance, you name it, you know, they, they you know, the, 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 the coverage of them, you know, they have specialized media that covers them in like a professional way and they have like industry analytics and they employ, you know, analysts and accountants and so forth to provide like methodologically rigorous analysis for policymakers and, and decision makers in those organizations to work with. And then college football is a bunch of like, you know, uh, brain damaged white dudes, you know, who are writing about what their feelings are about a football game. I'm just like, what, you know, I understand that football is entertainment, but you know what movies are entertainment too. And they have, you know, rigorous analysis, video games are, are, are entertainment, you know, like just because it's entertainment doesn't mean it's not, you know, real business with real money in it as anybody should be aware. Uh, And and, uh, it's just like, it's such a clown show you know, to read most, you know, football coverage articles where they're, you know, like I, you know, we talked earlier about like, you know, got to exclude garbage time. Like that would be uh, like, even that step is apparently a bridge too far for most of these guys. Like most of the articles are just like, it's emotion. It's like, how did I feel they were doing during the third quarter? It's just like, it's incredible that somebody, I mean, in, in most places, if somebody who's trying to accomplish something observes a better way to accomplish or a a way that might help them accomplish what they're trying to do 
usually they'll jump on it. They'll they they're smart oh, yeah. enough to recognize, oh, this you know this could actually really help us in this area. And it's just amazing to me that it's like a universal back turning uh, on this sort of deep analysis of what's going on with your own team and your opponents. Yeah, I, I I don't get it, man. You know, and like I don't even frank, frankly, I don't really think I'm very good at this. I don't think I'm a, a very like fluid writer, um, and I don't, you know, and, and and like you know, it's not like I have any, you know, in this field anyway, any specific training. You know, like it's not like I'm a football coach or something like that. You know, those guys all, right. you know, they've forgotten more about football theory than I have ever taught myself. Uh, you know, like if any, you know, the only reason I'm doing this is because, you know, I wanted to read this stuff and no one else was writing it. And the instant somebody mm-hmm. else starts writing it, I'm going to quit, you know, because I'll just read their stuff. Um, right. Yeah. But it hasn't happened yet. So yeah. here I am, There's reader, you know, and, and listener, you know, come at me, you know, <laughs> I'm happy. Yeah, to exactly. Engage. Wow. All right. That's enough. Uh, inside <laughs> baseball <laughs> and <laughs> complaining. Um, I'm looking forward to the game on uh, on Saturday. I'm looking forward to game day being there and all the excitement. You know, uh, uh, any. Uh, but uh, but uh, I th- <laughs> I think I need to quit talking about it. You got any parting words for wisdom for us, Slurms? No, it's a, you know, like you said, it's a huge week, and Eugene, uh, it's great to have the national attention that game day brings. And I, I suspect that duck fans are going to bring the crazy down there on Saturday. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Well, they're calling for cool, wet weather. Uh, not that it matters uh, in the stadium, because of course it never rains on Autzen stadium and it yep. never rains on this podcast. <laughs>